Let us pray. Father, we thank you once again this morning that we can gather in your house. I can be given the privilege to share your word, Lord, and to as many as are logged into this internet communication, Father. I thank you, Lord, that within every one of our hearts, in spite of the difference and the distances and the, the Lord, the various circumstances in our lives that we could be united. United in spirit, united in doctrine, united in our mindset. And most important, united because we can share the very concept and mind of Jesus, our Lord. Lord, we commit this service into your hands today. We ask that if they're broken hearts, Lord, that you will heal them. If they're individuals that are in distress, that, Lord, you'll lift the burdens, we pray. Please help us, O oh God, during the service. Please touch your minds, touch your hearts, we ask, Father. Be a blessing in this service, we ask in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen and amen. Well, once again, it's good to uh, connect with every one of you following us on Facebook, online, uh, in this beautiful service that we're having here today. I asked Nadine to sing that song because that's one of my favorite songs. And I try in this church um, not to have specials because we want to create an impression. We have specials because it means something to sing praises to the Lord. And when we sing a song like, I can't complain, we live in a time where there's so much to complain about. I was walking out from the sanctuary this morning and saw one of the elders at the back, Brother Raleigh, and I asked him, I said, uh, what do you think about Black Lives Matter? And I confused him for a moment. He didn't know what to answer me, uh, how to answer me. But I, I ended up telling him, I said, in God's mind, God is in control of everything. And whether it's Black Lives Matter or some other instance that's happening or the political situation in the United States or some crisis in North Korea or COVID-19, everything is happening because God allows it. And if you did not listen to the message last night, then you should listen to it because everything that's negative, and I would say everything that's positive, should affect positively or negatively the lives of every one of God's children. If you're elect, you will make sure that everything turns out in your favor. Uh, Paul, when he was writing to the church at Rome, he says all things. All things, when he says all things, I mean all things, whether good or bad, whether positive or negative, all things are designed to make the elect child of God stronger. The negatives are given to you so you can plant your feet stronger in God and have positive results in the end. While you're going through the trial, you might not fully understand why, God, why. Well, hang in there, and if you endure to the end, you'll be saved. And it is, 
It is necessary for us to see every negative circumstance as an opportunity that we can uh, get stronger in God. Uh, negative circumstances sometimes expose your immature area, the immature areas in your life, uh, your individual life. The negative comes up to the surface. And um, it's not that God is ordaining evil, but God allows evil. He said, I create good and evil. And everything has a purpose, even the devil. Uh, Lucifer has a purpose uh, to fulfill in this earth. And that is why, as a child of God, I can't just go around and hate everything that's negative and love everything that's positive, because what my judgment of a positive situation may be, it might be contrary to God's mind. What you might call a loss might be a win. And what you might think is a win is a loss. And these are things that when you hear it from the, from the ministry and God's servants are sharing these important information during this COVID crisis, uh, COVID-19 is not an accident. Don't blame the government. Don't blame China. Don't blame anybody. You want to blame somebody, say, sit down and figure it out with God. Because he never errs in judgment. He never makes a mistake. And when we think about last night, uh, the service last night, we talked about a misunderstanding, uh, the simplicity of Jesus. Because uh, if, you don't, if you don't connect with the real concept, if your concept and understanding as to who Jesus is... And you see why I'm saying that. If that is incorrect, then your whole spiritual life would be flawed. You're building on a wrong foundation. And that is why a lot of individuals out in many, many religious groups, ours not excluded, we can slowly deteriorate from God's true purpose of the church and formulate our own little religious organization a few weeks ago, or maybe a month ago, I made a statement. I said, what is uh, supposed to be an organism, something with life that God started on the day of Pentecost, or in wherever dispensation you're in, what might be an organism uh, can, because of man's flaws and man's mechanical operations, turn into an organization, something that's dead, man-made, and functions carnally. And that is why it is important that we understand who Jesus really is. We don't complicate uh, the gospel. And so, uh, over here in Matthew chapter 7, and today I want to continue talking a little bit about Jesus, but here in Matthew 7, it's a curious, curious area of the Word of God. Matthew 7, uh, the Lord tells us that judgment must be done right. He says, judge not that you be not judged. Do I want to be judged? Yes, I want to be judged righteously. But I must have my judgment uh, developed in such a way that I judge righteously. And it is important to understand that. And then right down, going down in that chapter, a very popular area of the Matthews chapter 7, is verse 13. Jesus said, Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. I think when he says gate here, he's talking about religious movements. 
uh, when he says, enter in at the straight gate. There is a straight gate. And when he said straight, the word straight is spelled S-T-R-A-I-T. It's not straight as an arrow. It is straight as in confinement. It is straight as in a straight jacket that it holds you in line. It's like a girdle that pulls uh, the loose thought pattern together. And Jesus said, enter ye in at the straight, S-T-R-A-I-T, gate. Uh, because a gate here is a way uh, to God. And if there is a straight gate, uh, there is a contrary uh, side to that. He said, for entering at the straight gate, uh, uh, for wide is the gate, wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many are going in thereat. In other words, there is a path that God has ordained for his people to walk on that will establish true discipleship in their lives. And this is something that we must understand. Uh, when we understand what true discipleship is, then we'll understand that we can't have our own way and serve God at our convenience. Uh, in my neighborhood, not far from where we are here in church, there's a convenient store. They call it convenient store because it's open 24 hours every day. And if you did not get your grocery list right when you went, when you went to the grocery store, uh, you can go to the convenience store. You can say, well, I, I forgot to buy milk. Well, go to the convenience store. That's open all the time, at your convenience. And the price would be a little higher, but it will be there, available to you. Well, you see, serving God is not a convenience store mentality that is required. If we're to serve God, we can serve him at our convenience. I cannot stop people serving God at their convenience. That will be a part of what life is about. Yesterday, I talked about pagans' customs and pagan celebrations. I can't stop people doing that. If I know that you have a sin in your life, I can't cleanse your, your sin. I can pray that God take you through a process that you will be able to confess your sins uh, or your sin and have it cleansed by God. So what I know does not, does not in any way affect my relationship with you unless you're really a pervert. If you're a real good pervert, then I must avoid your company. But if you have a flaw in your life, like a minor flaw, you, you're a person that's caught up with pagan celebrations and things like that. You go to a, Hindu, a pagan temple. Well, you see, a pagan temple is no different than an apostate church. A pagan temple and an apostate church are one and the same. Uh, one has literal idols, the other one has misconceptions of God. Both are heading in the same direction. And so I must be able, as a child of God, during this uh, crisis period of time, not to judge people wrongfully. I learn to judge righteous judgment. And when I understand that straight is the gate and narrow is the way, and uh, few there be that find it, but... Um, uh, Paul, Jesus said, enter in at the straight gate. He said, verse 14, for straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leadeth to life. If you want to get into life, if you want to be in the first resurrection, if you want to come up in the resurrection of life, and there are two basic aspects of the resurrection. One is called the first resurrection, 
And that is, uh, before the millennium reign, millennial reign of Christ, the first resurrection has two phases. The first phase, second phase, we are not going to talk about that today. But it can come up in the first resurrection where you have to be an overcomer, uh, which is a scarcity when I look at the world today and look at my own life. Uh, Paul took 40, 40, 35 to 40 years before he could say, I'm now ready to be offered. A man like Paul that God purged and God cleansed took about 35 years. There was a time when he says, I've not yet apprehended that which the Lord has apprehended me for. But this one thing I do, forgetting the things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press towards the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Well, Paul reached to that place after 35 years. Uh, Moses took uh, 40 years in the wilderness before God could rid him of the, Egyptian, uh, of the Egyptian mentality that he had. He was a prince of Egypt. God had to process him for 40 years. And as you enter into the church of our day, whether it's the body of Christ or any other religious movement, God must process you for you to be in the first resurrection. But if you fail to qualify for the first resurrection, then there's a resurrection at the end of the thousand years that people will come up and be saved. It's called the general harvest. That is where a majority of mankind would come up and be saved. Uh, the queen of the south, Jesus said, shall rise with this generation and condemn it. The men of Nineveh will rise with that generation. So if you miss the first resurrection because it's such a demand on your life, then you can make it in the second. But the first resurrection demands a discipleship, discipleship, where it's not what you want. It's not serving God at your convenience, but it's bringing your own desires on in submission to a principle, the principles of God's word. And Jesus went on here, and this is not really what I want to talk to you about. I want to flip over to verse 21, because he said here, and this is the strange thing, the Lord Jesus says, not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord. Uh, well, there are lots of people. Uh, today is Sunday. Thousands and millions around the world are saying, Lord, Lord. Thousands and millions are in thousands of churches with millions of people are saying today in their church, Lord, Lord, Jesus, we love you, we worship you. Well, it is important what God thinks. Uh, when God looks down in, uh, in the world, what does he see? Somebody said, Lord, Lord. Well, let's look at the Lord's attitude. He says, not everyone that said, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. So you can say, Lord, Lord, and you might not enter into the kingdom of heaven because it's not just because you say, Lord, Lord, you'll enter in. There are conditions, there are qualifications that you must meet in order to enter into the kingdom of God. He says, but he that do it, do it. Uh, there is a life to be lived. There is a conversion that must be experienced at the start of your life. You must come to the altar and say, Lord, I'm sorry for my sin. I'm sorry for the life that I lived for so many years. I want you to cleanse me of my sins. And if you're listening to this broadcast, uh, this, this service this morning, 
And you never ask the Lord to cleanse you. You need to do that. But brother is saying, I've been going to church for many years. I don't care where you went to for many years. If you have never done that, you have never got at an altar and kneeled down and asked the Lord to forgive you of your sins uh, that you have committed in your life, whether knowing or unknowing, then you need to do that as a starter. And when you receive a genuine conversion, uh, you're not to do this just mechanically because a lot of what is done in religion today is just a formality and a, just a mechanical operation. Uh, but if you do this after a contrition of your heart and a deep inward godly sorrow for your life and a conversion starts, then your life would be different. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and drink the cup of the devil at the same time. Uh, you cannot enjoy what the world has out here and serve God at the same time. There must be a distinction. So Jesus is saying this in Matthew. And if this is recorded, right, this is what he's saying. He says, not everyone that saith, Lord, Lord, but he that do it. What God wants, not what you want, not what your mama want, not what the church want, not what ancestors that, passed, that lived in the past want for your life, but what God wants. Uh, this is what you will do. You cannot be a child of light and walk in darkness. You can't love the world. John says, he says, uh, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. For if these things be in you, if you love the world and the things of the, yeah, and you love the world, the love of the Father is not in you. We need the love of the Father. Uh, we need the love of God shed abroad in our hearts. Now, here is the beautiful thing about this scripture. It says, uh, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will come to me in that day. Many, we got a great group. And when he says many here, Jesus is saying many. I'm going to tell you what many means. Millions. Many here is talking about millions of Christians that are going to church. Millions of Christians going to church. And you know, Bert is saying, that excludes us. No, sir. It does not exclude anybody. Uh, this scripture is put here for you and I to examine ourselves. And a lot of times when somebody says, I have a relationship with Jesus, it's not a relationship with the Jesus of this Bible. It's a relationship with some traditional concept that you have. It's a relationship with yourself. A term is coming into my head that would be too indecent to mention online. Uh, but you're having a relationship with yourself. And you think it's a relationship with God. You have a relationship. I'm not talking about some emotional experience you have and you feel God is there. I'm talking about an experience that changes your life. Uh, Paul says, be not confirmed to this world, but be transformed, not reformed. See, many of us, many of us today in church, we are reformed. Somebody comes in the church and they're brand new and they come on in. And I'm a pastor. I sit there and see this guy come on in with old shaggy, shaggy pants and a dirty shirt. And his shirt is red. And I said, no, no, no. If you're going to be a part of this church, we got to change you, clean you up. And so I'm not concerned about the cleaning on the inside. I'm concerned about the cleaning on the outside. So I put a white shirt on him, put a suit on. So it's an old man in a new suit. What God prefers, whether the suit is old it might be an old suit, 
but a new man in the suit. So I'm concerned, I'm telling you, what we need is a new creature in that old suit. Whether it's a new suit or an old suit, it doesn't matter. As a new creature, a new man, when God converts you, it's a new life that's starting up. You're a new being that God is bringing uh, to, 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 to a maturity. And Jesus says, many shall say to me, and I'm saying many here refers to millions, shall say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? It means they were preachers. Prophesying here is like preaching. It's not getting up and saying, thus saith the Lord. No, we don't have a lot of that. I spoke to a pastor last night. He called me and he said, a Haitian brother, he called me and he says, Brother Singh, uh, he says, I was reading Amos and I was reading Hosea. And I'm reading a scripture that says, the Lord says, if I'm about to do something, I will inform my prophets. He says, how is it none of us knew that COVID-19 was coming? I said, well, we didn't know that COVID-19 was coming because none of us are prophets, genuine prophets. But I call myself a prophet, no matter what you call yourself. If we don't understand what God is about to do, it might be we are dull of understanding and we have titled ourselves beyond what God sees. So when God looks down, what he sees is important. And many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we have prophesied in your name, not in the name of the devil. We use the name of Jesus. Well, here we come back. Which Jesus? The Baptist Jesus, the Assemblies of God Jesus, the Presbyterian Jesus, the Catholic Jesus with Jesus. There's only one true Jesus. And this Jesus is telling us here in Matthew 7 that I'm particular about who knows me and who has a relationship with me. And he goes on to say, he says, he says, uh, in the name of thy name we have cast out devils, and in my name, in thy name done many wonderful works. Lord, we built an orphanage here. We supply uh, food to the hungry. Lord, we did a lot of things. And Jesus, he says, then I will profess. Now, the Lord knows everybody, but this knowledge he's talking about is a personal experience with him. And among the many, the millions, he says, I will profess unto them, and I will say, I never had an experience with you, and you never had an experience with me. Won't that be tragic? That millions would stand up in the day of judgment and says, Lord, but we carried on religion. And Jesus would say, I don't know you. You know why? Because the Jesus we worshiped and the Jesus we were serving was our custom-built Jesus to give us the liberty to sin and to do what we want and we think we were serving Jesus. No, he departed a long time ago. If Jesus is in this church... And slowly this church moves from the foundation of the apostles and prophets. And we start to move and start to harbor a contrary ideas and ideologies. Then we have missed, understood who Jesus is. Over in, in, the, God, in the book of Revelation. And we want to uh, play around a little here today. If the Lord can help us. There's no end to this subject. And I'm taking you into the book of Revelation. Not because I'm a great scholar. 
I've got a King James Bible in front of me, and I love my King James Bibles. Love it so much that when I'm praying, sometimes I use King James Version. Dear Father, Thou art wonderful. Why am I telling him Thou art? I should say, Father, You're wonderful. You're precious. You're lovely. Thou art, Lord, wilt Thou give, grant me happiness today? You see, I'm reading this so much that I end up and use King James Version. And we sing King James Version ever so often. But, you know, that's okay. I, I don't have a problem with that. But it means that we're too mechanical. We're too caught up in, in this mechanic. But I love this Bible. And this Bible is beautiful. But Jesus never spoke English. Jesus never spoke English. And John never spoke English also. And so when I'm reading this translation, I could try to be a scholar and put on some professor's name in front of my name. Uh, some title, you know, I can call myself Dr. So-and-so or put on some title behind my name. If it's not before, I put it behind and hope I can impress you because I went to a cemetery for training. I mean a seminary for training. Seminary, cemetery, same thing. Um, I went to a seminary for training, and I, I got brainwashed by apostate religious movements out there. And I'm going to tell you what this really says. Now, I'm going to tell you what I'm reading here, and I hope to God that the Holy Ghost that touched men to write this, that the Holy Ghost that was speaking to John can touch my mind to decipher what's written here. I don't need a college, I don't need a seminary, I don't need uh, professors to tell me what, because when John wrote, who knows what happened to the original writing that John wrote, where it went. And somebody says, well, you know, the, uh, the, it comes from the original Greek manuscript. Who set the original Greek manuscript? Were they God-ordained men that believed the doctrine I believe in? The men that set the Septuagint version, uh, the Hebrew scriptures into Greek, did they, did they have the Holy Ghost baptism like the early church apostles had? Did they have their doctrines right? If not, then their translation would all have a slant that I cannot take everything they say. So what they said is important. I'm glad that God gave me the English here because that's the only language I know. So I'll read it to the best of my ability. And there's some things it says here about Jesus that I love. And so when I'm reading this, it talks about Jesus. And John, uh, John, uh, the translators here, says the revelation of Saint John the Divine. They could not even title the book right. It's not Saint John. When John gets up and resurrect from the dead and he sees that they title the book, the revelation of Saint John. They're trying to make him a Catholic. John would be upset with that. And uh, it goes on here and it says the revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave to him. Uh, I think verse 1 to, uh, to verse 3 were inserted there by the translators who was putting this revelation document together. But John seems to be saying something from verse 4. He says, John to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you, and peace from him which was, which is, and which was, and which is to come, and from the seven spirits which are before his throne. Now keep that in mind, seven spirits which are before his throne. All right? 
And then when you come down here, John is saying here in verse 10, uh, John says, I was in the spirit. Uh, verse 9, I, I, John, who also am your brother and companion in tribulation and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was on the isle that is called Patmos. He was on a penal island. He was being imprisoned on an island. And he, he says, because I preach the word of God today, I wish somebody uh, would get into trouble because they preach the word of God that God gave them. Uh, he says, I was there because for the word of God and because I was a Christian. I had a testimony of Jesus Christ. And he says, I was in the spirit. I was in the spirit. The Lord touched my mind. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. Uh, the Lord's day here does not mean Saturday or Sunday. It might very well mean the day of the Lord shall come as a thief in the night. That day that brings the return of Christ. That millennial period that will commence with this particular event. And he says here, I was in the spirit on the Lord day, Lord's day and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet. And this voice said, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. What thou seest, write in a book and send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia Minor. Uh, the Alpha and Omega uh, is not describing the Father. The Alpha and Omega is describing this Jesus we're talking about today. Seems like we'll be talking about Jesus quite a lot. And so yesterday we were talking about, yesterday we we're talking about the simplicity of Christ misunderstood. Today we're looking at Jesus because when Jesus came on this earth, he was, uh, he was the lamb that was slain. He came as a servant and was made obedient even unto death. Uh, that's what Paul meant when he said in, in Philippians, he says, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, uh, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Uh, the margin in the Oxford Bible says, who thought not equality with God, something to be grasped at. But he made himself of no repetition. He that created the universe, he that assisted the Father, and the Father created him and he created the rest. He was the firstborn of God's creation. He was the firstborn of God's creation. Hold your finger in verse 1 uh, in that part. And it says here in chapter, uh, chapter, uh, chapter th uh, 3 and verse uh, 14, when the Lord, uh, when this angel is giving John this message to take to the church uh, of Laodiceans, the Laodiceans, he says, um, he says, because he says uh, unto the angel of the church of the Odyssey, right, these things saith the Amen and the faithful. That is Jesus, the Amen. He's called the Amen. There are many names he has got. He's called the Amen, and he's called the faithful and true witness. Uh, he is faithful and he is true. And then he's called, he is the beginning of the creation of God. He was the start when the Father made the Son. That's the end, the start and the finish of God's creation. He was the Alpha, which is the first letter, I think, in the Greek alphabet. I never studied Greek, but I was told. And the Omega is the last. So the first being God ever created was the Son. And the last being the Father ever created was the Son. He created Him and the Son created everything else. And this is beautiful to know. 
And he goes on here, he says, he says, I mean, thou art the first and the last. Where am I? Verse 14. The beginning of the creation of God. If you back up to verse uh, 12, when this uh, angel is uh, getting a letter, when the, uh, the angel is giving John a letter to the church at Philadelphia, uh, he says here in verse 12, him that overcome it, when you overcome, the Lord says, I will make him a pillar. Jesus is talking here. Jesus is talking to John. He says, him that overcome it, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Jesus has a God. He has a God. All right, are you following me? I don't know why we're getting on this lesson today, but it's a good lesson. He says, I will make him a, a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go no more out. In other words, uh, he, when you overcome and you become a pillar in the temple of God, the temple is not a literal temple. That is something else that we need to talk about. Much that is written in the book of Revelation is symbolic. Uh, the, when you see a lamb, it's symbolic. When you see a lion, it's symbolic. When you see a sword coming out of the mouth of the Lord, it's symbolic. When he roars like a lion, it's symbolic. When you see a beast coming out of the sea, it's symbolic. When it has ten head, uh, seven heads and ten crowns, it is symbolic. You follow me? All right. And he goes on here. He says, you make your a pillar in the temple of my God, not a literal pin, pillar. And he shall go no more out. And I will write on him the name of Jesus said, my God. Jesus said, my God. And the name of the city of my God. In other words, in Revelation 21, when you see that city, New Jerusalem, coming down, it's not a literal city. Someday we'll get and talk about that. It's the bride of Christ coming down. He is this, uh, when you're an overcomer, you're a part of that city of, the, of, the, of, the, of God. Uh, you're coming down from God, you're coming to rule and reign on this earth. And he goes down here, he says, And I will write on him the name of my God, and the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, which cometh down from heaven, from my God, my God. Jesus is calling the Father, my God. Hold your finger in Revelation, the first chapter, and back up with me here to Hebrews. The first chapter of Hebrews, when Paul is writing uh, to the Hebrews. And beautiful areas of the word of God. And here Paul is writing, and we can't touch this lesson in one service and get it over with, but we're talking about the other aspect of Jesus. There is a simplicity of Christ that must be maintained in the church. There is a spirit of Jesus that must be maintained in the church. There is a, there's a meekness of Christ that must be maintained in the church. When you read the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians, the fifth chapter, it's describing who Jesus is because it's the fruit of His Spirit. Hold your finger in Hebrews, the first chapter, and you got your finger in Revelation, the first chapter, and we, are well, we will turn back here to Galatians, the fifth chapter of Galatians. And I hope you get your Bibles all over uh, open and you're following with me here. Here in the fifth chapter of Galatians and and this is the church that was backslidden. Uh, we talked about it last night. We talked about this, this assembly, these assemblies. Lystra, Iconium, Derby, and Antioch. Uh, four churches in Galatia. They were backsliding. They were leaving the principles uh, that they were supposed to be standing on. And they quit moving on in sanctification. 
They were distracted by the world and the things of the world. And that is why Paul, when he's writing to Galatians, the very first chapter and the very fourth verse, he says, Christ gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us, not entangle us, deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God. He that doeth the will of God, it is the will of God that we don't hobnob with this world. What they're doing out there, it's not your business. Get yourself into serving God. Get some principles in your life. But today, like Isaiah said, women and children will lead them. I say that again. Women and children will lead them. I'm married. I know what it is to have a wife that will try to lead you. But she is a good wife. She has learned over the years that what I want to do, I feel is the will of God to do. Nobody changes my mind. I'm an obstinate old ox when it comes to doing what I feel God wants me to do. In spite of who vote against it and who vote for it, it doesn't change. And so when Paul is writing to the Galatians, not only did he tell them that he marveled that they were so soon removed from him that called him, uh, verse 6, uh, into the grace of Christ unto another gospel. Another gospel will, of course, pro provide another Jesus. Not the Jesus that Paul preached. And so in chapter uh, 3, Paul went on to tell the Galatians this. He says, you foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you? Witchcraft is a work of the flesh. Demonic activity in a church that promotes false doctrine and misconceptions is under the influence of witchcraft. Now listen to me carefully. Is it possible that gospel assembly here in Mississauga come under the influence of witchcraft? Yes. If we're moving away from godliness and holiness and we're caught up in the world, who hath bewitched you? Has the media bewitched you? Has some social event bewitched you? Has your family bewitched you? Has the internet bewitched you? And some of us go to university, we go to, the, uh, to a seminary to get ourselves bewitched. It's one thing when the devil tries to, pro, pro, uh, to, uh, to uh, infil infiltrate your mind. It's another thing when you tell him, come and brainwash me. And may God help us because Jesus is coming back for a church without spot or wrinkle. And that's what we talked about last night. Paul says, I fear, lest as a serpent beguile Eve through his subtlety, your mind should be bewitched. And so he's telling the four churches of Galatia, who hath bewitched you? Isn't that a strong word? Paul, what are you, what's wrong with you? What you why are you telling us be or bewitched? Well, I'm telling you the same thing. Blame Paul. Don't blame me, blame Paul. Can we, be, be, can we here in Mississauga be bewitched? Yes, no church is infallible. No church. The church at Jerusalem in the final years was bewitched. The churches of Galatia, bewitched. 
and can't make it stronger than that. The body of Christ in Jerusalem was bewitched. The body of Christ in Galatia was bewitched. The body of Christ in Corinth was bewitched. But we here today, we are infallible. Don't kid yourself. That's already bewitching yourself when you think that you don't need to watch out for your spiritual safety and security. And in chapter 5, Paul writes and he tells you about the spirit of Jesus. I got 10 minutes to go. He tells you here about the spirit of Jesus. Now yesterday I told you that you need to go home and when service is over and read uh, the seventh chapter of the Acts of the Apostles, the longest sermon we have on record that one, uh, one man of God in the New Testament preached. Remember? I hope you did. Because if you didn't, you just love to be entertained. I wish I could hear amens or out. But um, I can't hear that over the internet. You see, that's a disadvantage. And Paul is writing here, and what I want you to do today is to make a list of all the works of the flesh and make a list of all the fruit of the Spirit and then go through each one and find out what you've got. Today, we are only touching the fruit of the Spirit because we're trying to find out the Spirit of Jesus. And Spirit of Jesus, here's what Jesus has. Paul said in verse 22, the fruit of the Spirit is love. That's genuine love. Genuine love. That's charity in totality. All of this that is recorded here can be enveloped in one word, charity. 1 Corinthians 13. It says there, joy. The Spirit of Jesus has joy. It has peace. You know, I'm miserable. It has peace. Well, there's a storm. Peace. And that is what Jesus meant when the disciples woke him up and they were in the storm. And he comes up there and I always wondered until one service, we sort of figure it out. When Jesus stood there, said, Jesus, you don't care. We are perishing. There's a storm. He stood up. And for years we said, peace be still. That was a contradiction, peace be still. What does that mean? What does a storm need to do with peace be still? No, he turned to the disciples who were confused and in turmoil and, and, and trouble. He said, peace. That's what Paul would say, my peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. And then he turned to the storm and he says, be still. But the storm... In life are necessary. COVID-19 is necessary to bring to the surface our immaturity and our fickleness. If you use COVID-19 to skip church and to miss uh, serving God and to miss doing a lot of things for God, then you're really missing a lot. And then he goes on here, he says, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. These are all the attitude of Jesus. The attitude of Jesus eliminates everything that's in the flesh. And it's promoting everything that's in the spirit. So when someone says, I got the Holy Ghost. If when you get the Holy Ghost, all you get is tongues, you got nothing. There is a life. There's an overcoming life that accompanies the baptism of the Holy Ghost. You are being converted from darkness into light. 
And so this is what the fruit of the Spirit is all about. So here in Hebrews chapter 1, the Father, uh, when he, Paul is writing here, and I can't get into the whole chapter, I'll just choose some verses. Unto uh, which of the angels, verse 5, unto which of the angels set he at any time, that set the Father at any time? Unto which of the angels set the Father at any time? Who is the Father talking to? Uh, verse, uh, verse 1, God who at sundry time and in diverse manner spake unto us unto, uh, in the past unto the fathers by the prophets hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son. And the Lord Jesus is speaking to the church. And I pray to God that he has touched my mind that when I'm preaching this message, it's the Lord speaking unto his church. And he said, in these last days spoken unto us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, the father, the greater, appointed the son, heir or inheritor of all things, by whom the father also made the worlds. You see, the father only created the son, and the son, he allowed the son to create the worlds. He made all things. Jesus did. And yet he humbled himself, Paul said. And became obedient even unto death. And that is why that mind that Jesus had should be ours. But we make sure we got the right Jesus in order to develop the right mindset. All right. And he goes on here. He says, uh, he says, uh, verse four, five concerning Jesus. He says, unto which of the angels said he at any time, thou art my son. This day, this day have I begotten thee. The father begets. Somebody, Raleigh, was telling me somebody went into him and was trying to give him a book that showed that Jesus, had, uh, God the Father, had a wife. And I told Brother Raleigh, I said, what did you do? Took the book? And he says, no. I said, that's a sick man. And believe it or not, that man was a part of this church. You see, when you reject this church, God will give you over the strong deception, delusions that you believe a lie and be damned. When you sit in this church and you reject the truth I'm preaching, whether physically, whether outwardly or inwardly, God will give you strong delusions that you'll believe a lie and be damned. I have confidence in that. I've seen it happen. And you can be surprised that a man sitting in this church ends up with all the teaching and all the scriptures we use over all the years and come up with a concept that God has, the Father has a wife. Sick. That's the only word I can come up. One word I can describe such a person sick. And then he goes on here. He says, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee, and I will be to him a father, and he will be unto me a son. And again, when he bringeth all the, the first begotten into the world, he said, Let all the angels of God worship him. And he says, and of the angels, he says, who maketh the angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire. But unto the son, he said, the father is talking to the son. And here's what the father is talking to the son. He says, thy throne, O God. What? The father is calling the son God? Yes, because the son was given that authority to be creator of everything else. The father only made the son. And so in Revelation, when Jesus is saying, my God, he's talking about his God. He, and he told Mary, he says, I'm about to ascend to my God and your God. The father is still the highest pivotal point in all of creation. He was never created. That's why he stands. The son was. And he says, he said to the son, thy throne, O God. 
is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. Thou hast loved righteousness. He's talking to his son. He says, and hated iniquity. Therefore, God, even your God. The father is calling him God. And then he's saying, even God, your God, has anointed thee with the oil of, of, of gladness above your uh, the oil of gladness above your uh, fellow servants. Uh, he anointed it with all of gladness above thy fellows. And thou, Lord, the Father tells the Son, and thou, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of thy hands. They shall perish, but you'll remain. And so there was a day at Jesus' resurrection when he was given the fullness of immortality. And he is a powerful entity. And that is why I don't have enough time here, but I'll give you a little glimpse of it. I'll take a little extra of your time from you here today. But in Revelation, the first chapter, when John sees him, he sees this being coming down here. Uh, his countenance. In chapter 1, his head, uh, it says he was walking in the midst of said, the seven golden candlesticks. And verse 16, and he said, he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp twitch sword, and his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. Uh, Jesus is seen in a different light here in Revelation, the first chapter. He had a radiant countenance. He was a magnificent being. When you look at him in Revelation chapter 1 and uh, verse, uh, uh, verse 16, in chapter three and verse, um, in chapter three and verse one, uh, it tell, tells us here unto the angel of the church of Sardis, write these things said he, Jesus, that had the seven spirits of God and uh, and the seven stars of God. I know thy works. Now here is something that we need to understand. This being called Jesus, when John saw this being uh, in chapter one, you remember verse four. He saw the seven spirits before God's throne. It's amazing if you can understand. In the next mess service we have, we'll talk about a little bit about that. The seven spirits, Jesus said, this is he. Unto the angel of the church of Sardis write, this thing said he that had the seven spirits of God. Jesus has all the seven spirits of God. Give me five minutes of your time. Let's move. Hold your finger in Revelation and turn back with me into the book of Isaiah. In Isaiah 11, it talks about Jesus here. And John says, uh, uh, Isaiah writes and he says, They came forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse and a branch. A rod out of the stem of Jesse. Jesse was David's father. And a branch, a spelt with a capital B by the translators. And shall grow up out of his roots. And here is what John, uh, Isaiah writes. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. That is the Holy Ghost, one. Spirit of the Lord, the Holy Ghost, one. And the Spirit of wisdom, two. And the Spirit of understanding, three. And the Spirit of counsel, fourth. And the Spirit of might, five. And the Spirit of knowledge, six. And the Spirit of the fear of the Lord, seven. Seven spirits shall be on one being. Zechariah says, on one stone shall be seven eyes. Jesus has seven spirits. And the Holy Ghost, what we read about in Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit, that's just a little bit of what there is 
to understand about Jesus. No wonder the scripture says he dwells in the light which no man can approach unto. And so when he has all of this, he will be able to rule the kingdom of God with seven spirits of God totally controlling his life. And he shall be, and it shall make him of quick understanding in the fear of the Lord. And he shall not judge what he sees according to his own eyes, neither reprove after the hearing of his ears, but with righteousness shall he judge the poor and reprove with equity the meek of the earth. And it goes on to tell you that there'll be peace. Beautiful scripture in Isaiah 11. Read the whole chapter. The lion and the lamb shall dwell together. They'll neither hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain. It says here in verse 9. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy government, saith the Lord. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. A wrong knowledge brings a wrong spirit in society. When you have the right knowledge of God in your heart and it's in your heart, it will bring a change of life. And you will understand how to walk in the principles of God because you have the right spirit. Back up to Revelation here and we'll call it quits for today. It says here uh, when John is looking and he's trying to understand this Jesus and this being that we see here. Uh, in chapter 5, it, uh, John sees a lamb. Uh, John sees a lamb uh, here. On Mount, he saw, saw a lamb. He saw an angel having a book. I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne, God the Father has a book and written within and on the backside with seven seals. There was a scroll and it has seven seals that locked it off. Long time when you want to send a letter, you put a seal. Well, this letter had seven seals. This scroll, this book had seven seals. It means that this, the book is not for Tom, Dick, Harry, Jones and Brung and the Bible school to interpret it. The seals cannot be broken easily. And I heard of the strong voice proclaiming with a loud voice who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof. And no man in heaven, except some of us, nor on the earth, near under the earth, was able to open the book and to loose the seals, to look therein. And John started to weep because his bank account went under. Verse 4. He started to weep because he lost his job. No, here was a man weeping because there was no interpretation to what was in that book. You know what? The greatest heartache I can have is to listen to a man interpret scripture and butcher it. God did not call me to be a butcher. He called me to be a minister of the gospel. And if what I preach does not offer light but just a bunch of junk... And butchering the scripture, I am sorry and I feel sad and I de feel depressed. That's what depresses me when I hear a misinterpretation of scripture. When it promotes ungodliness, I'm disappointed at any preacher that promotes ungodliness. Listen, you want to be ungodly? Do it in your privacy. But when you're flaunting it to the saints and have them copy that and you have your whole church going to hell behind you, I am very disappointed and I'm hurt in my spirit. I'm about to finish this lesson. I'm trying my best here. And he goes on and John, John wept much. 
And one of the elders said unto me, weep not, verse 5. He says, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah. Now, Jesus is not only the lamb, but there's coming a time when he's going to be the lion that will roar and seven thunders will utter their voice. I'll, I'll talk to about that some other time. Today is a good day if we had another half an hour to go on with this message. Because I got the message if you got the time. But I promise not to preach long after COVID-19 struck. And when John says, weep not for the lion of the tribe of Judah, at the root of David, all these titles of Jesus had prevailed to open the book and to loose the seals thereof. And I beheld and lo, in the midst of the throne and in the midst of the four beasts, the four living creatures, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as it had been slain having seven horns and seven eyes. What are the eyes that this lamb had, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the, all the earth? And he, and he came and took the book out of the hand of him that sat on the throne. He walked over there. This lamb took the book from the hand of God. And when he had taken the book, the four beasts uh, four beasts, the four living creatures, and the 24 elders fell down uh, before the Lamb, everyone having a harp. Remember, these are all, these are all symbolism. Uh, the harps and they have golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of the saints. Now, I want to close it right here, because when you look at this picture that John is seeing about this book, and I believe this book that John had is the book of Revelation. I, I believe that. Did I hear that from God? No, I just conclude that it's the book of Revelation. That every one of us know all the details about it. But guess what? Most of us don't know squat. Because in chapter 10, when the Lamb comes, when this its being comes in chapter 10, and we'll talk about that, John sees this angel coming down from heaven. One foot on the land, one foot on the sea. And he had a book open up. Not closed anymore. Open up. And he roars like a lion. Who roars? The lion of the tribe of Judah. And when he roars, seven thunders, whoever they are, whether they're apostles or prophets, I don't know. I think it might be a combination of apostles and prophets. Because two major ministries exist at the return of Christ. Apostles and prophets. When Babylon falls, the Lord says, rejoice over her, you apostles and prophets. And when he roars, seven thunders utter their voice. And John says, oh my God, this is a lot of information. Let me write it down. And the angel said, hold on, put a, put a hole on that there. Don't write it down. There is a message... That is to be preached when the book is really open up. We are messing around to the best of our ability. But the book will be open up. And I won't have mysteries anymore. Because seven thunders will utter their voice. They're not trumpets anymore. They're thunders. When the thunder rolled, roared today in my environment, I remember when J.J. was a little boy. When he was about seven or eight years old and the thunder roars, he's under the bed. 
Well, when these seven thunders start to roar, utter their voice, and they start to, the thunders start to roll uh, in the heavens, and the message is going out, there'll be fear and trepidation in the world. And a message would be preached that was never preached before. So don't close the book. Don't say we have got it all. Don't say, well, we have reached to the apex and we don't need to understand anything more. I am hungry for a new wave of glory. I'm hungry for more of God. We need direction. And the brother was right to talk to me last night. He says, brother saying, how is it that none of us know? You know why? Because God has not told us. And because we're not hearing as much as we claim we're hearing, we need to seek after God. And isn't that wonderful that this vial that this uh, is uh, appearing in chapter 7 was full of the odors and the prayers of the saints. Listen, when you get down and pray seriously and sincerely, it does not go to waste. It is important. Let us pray as we never prayed before. Let us seek God as we never sought God before. And may God give us understanding. Today it's a privilege for me sharing these thoughts with you. We can never touch the full uh, magnitude of understanding Jesus. But today we have another glimpse of another side of this Jesus. Uh, let us develop the simplicity of preaching the gospel. And may God give us understanding. Let us pray. Father, we thank you once again for this day. We thank you for this time we have spent in your house. Uh, we thank you, Lord, for those that are following us on, on, on the internet. And we pray, Father, that these words that we have heard today would only exalt our Savior Jesus higher than we have him right now in our minds. We know, Lord, we can never put him on the highest pedestal because he's already so high. He's lifted far above all heavens. And he is lift, his name is above all names. But Father, in our hearts, we have so many different levels we have placed him. Father, help us to put him on the highest pivotal point in our lives. Oh, Father, that he might direct us and give us guidance. Thank you today for church. We pray that you'll bless your people and protect us from this virus, we ask. Speak to your people, Father. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen and amen.